the water, the spirit, and the wilderness. Expressions and agents of change. Today's gospel reading is at the beginning of a narrative that is one of the earliest accounts of Jesus's life and ministry. It is attributed to a scribe, a friend and a helper of the apostles Peter and Paul, and his name is Mark. And sometimes he's referred to as John Mark. Mark presents his narrative in three acts that thread together his main point or theme. And the claim is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. Each act centers around Jesus's identity, moving like a circle from the inner to the beyond. A voice from heaven tells Jesus who he is. Secondly, a voice from heaven tells Peter, John, and James who Jesus is. And finally, a Roman army officer, as some would say, is the first to grasp Jesus's identity. And these proclamations occurred when Jesus came out of the water, went up to the mountaintop, and was up on the cross. This authoritative teacher, healer, miracle worker, and rejected Messiah was a contradiction for many, even to the disciples. But the gospel affirms these three elements of Jesus' identity well. It depicts the upside down, diunital, radical kingdom of God that has come very near. Mark accounts, Mark's accounts opens with, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and shows us that the beginning of the gospel for him is where John the Baptist prepares the way, baptizing with water and preaching about the Christ to come. And John says, I baptize you with water, but he who is greater than I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John embodies the prophet Isaiah's words of prophecy and John's actions reflect the covenant God had established with all flesh after he brought Noah through the flood. It was a covenant established by God and made between him and all flesh, all creatures on earth. A covenant that seals the transformed hearts that came out of the flood and the same changing of hearts and lives is echoed in baptism by water and the word. For Mark, there isn't a retelling of Jesus's birth and a list of Jesus's ancestors because those things are not essential to his thing. Mark shows us that there is a connection between Jesus's baptism, the spirit, the wilderness, and his identity. Before Jesus came to the Jordan from Galilee, John was baptizing them and preaching a baptism to repent, telling them to change their hearts and lives. And Mark begins his narrative with baptisms in the desert and the appearance and the presence of the good news begins with Jesus's baptism by John. Unlike those who were previously baptized by John, Jesus did not come with sins. He went into the water and he came up and when he came up out of the water, everything changed. Jesus changed the water as Peter emphasized. 
It no longer saves you not as a removal of dirt, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. The water on the head and body is the outward expression of the Holy Spirit descending into our hearts. It is not only about confession and being baptized to show that we have confessed, but it is about the Spirit laying hold of us from the inside so that we might have the power to change and do God's will. Just or immediately as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit like a dove descending on him. Here, Mark is describing what Jesus saw. We are seeing what Jesus saw. This is what is meant by the water being changed. The water changes its narrative theme. John's words come true. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you by the Holy Spirit. And one cannot give what one does not have. Some translations state, he saw the Holy Spirit descending toward him or into him like a dove. I don't know how many people were waiting to be baptized that day at the Jordan, and there isn't any indication that they saw what Jesus saw, this opening up of the heavens, the appearance of the Spirit, and the voice that came from heaven were for Jesus' eyes, ears, and other senses. You are my son the beloved, with you I am well pleased. These words, the voice, the spirit descending like a dove affirm to Jesus who he is. He had to see it, he had to hear it, he had to feel it at the beginning of Mark's story of the good news. And this dove-like descending spirit, the symbol of good news and good tidings is a reminder of a kept promise. Mark is known for words like immediately and straight away, and there's an urgency in Mark. He tells his story like an action drama without any Selah moments, any pauses. The spirit descending like a dove is introduced straight away. It's right at the beginning of the story, and there is a reason. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, the wilderness. The spirit that descended into Jesus guided him into to wilderness. And this is interesting because Mark tells us that John did baptize in the wilderness. Jesus went to the place where John was baptizing, the Jordan River, which has a wilderness. The desert is along one side of the Jordan River. And this wilderness that the Spirit drove Jesus into indicates that there is much more. The desert area where John was baptizing likely was crowded by people waiting to be baptized. And the Spirit does not simply drive Jesus out into the desert, but he is driven out into a place of vast solitude. And one may imagine the wilderness to be a dry, uh, arid, and immensely wide open region or area or town that has been abandoned, deserted, forgotten. It is one that is uninhabited and uncultivated. 
a place so large in the daytime that you fear that it might swallow you up whole, a place that you may feel like you're in a small closet when it is night. And this wilderness is an empty place, an empty place, empty of human companionship. And the silence is so thick that you can hear your own heartbeat. He was in the wilderness 40 days. That too can seem large while feeling utterly confining and suffocating. The passage says that Jesus was tempted by Satan and the reader does not get the specifics on how Satan tried to tempt him. The way it is phrased implies that he's tempted the whole time that he's in that wilderness, all those 40 days. And you know, as usual, Satan never lets up, especially when there's a calling and there's a work to be done. Mark follows his telling of the temptation of Satan along the 40 days with, and he was with the wild beast and the angels waited on him. The two latter phrases in this verse tell of those things cherished by Jesus, cherishing things along his journey, the wild beasts, animals, and the angels. While most of us might find the wild beasts and even perhaps the angels to be a bit scary, no creature is scary to Jesus. So Jesus was not completely alone and without comfort. And also these beasts and angels are remnants of and signs that point back toward the wild beasts and animals included in God's covenant with Noah. God said, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And this covenant reaches far and wide and it includes those creatures and those beings, visible and invisible, invisible, seen and unseen. For God so loved all the world. Jesus is the Son of God and Messiah to all creatures. And Peter even says that angels, authorities, and powers have been subject to him. Jesus was driven by the Spirit from the inside, invited into a place where his identity might be challenged and tested, but also affirmed and solidified. Recently, a friend told me that Lent is not a time of I have to's, but I get to's. We get to enter into a time committed to prayer, listening, and reflection. It is not an obligation, but a holy privilege, an invitation. Rather than imagining the wilderness as a place of fasting, from things, perhaps we are invited to envision the wilderness as a hush harbor, a place where we move towards God, a place where we tarry with Jesus and wait. And some of us are familiar with hush harbors. A hush harbor is a place, a space where North American African slaves would go in to pray, worship, and spend time with God away from distractions and those things that frustrate spiritual flourishing. 
authenticity, and growth. Although, although the preposition in is used when people speak of Hush Harbor experiences, the Hush Harbor was mostly a deserted place in the woods among the trees, where folks were outdoors with nature and all creatures, even beasts, wild beasts, and feel the comfort of the angels worshiping alongside them. Most importantly, like Jesus, those who go out into the Hush Harbor or the Brush Arbor, as some still call it, are led there by the indwelling spirit of God. We are not companionless. Rather, we are accompanied by others who seek to move closer to God. Moreover, this is not a we have to experience, it is a we get to experience. It is a prayerful, reflective, heart-turning, and heart and life-changing time of tarrying with Jesus toward, as the hymn says, holier gladness. The water, the spirit, and the wilderness, all symbols and pathways and agents of change in the human creature. While we do not get the details of how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in this story, I'm so sure, I'm certain that Jesus prayed and this prayer was ongoing without ceasing. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. We too are invited toward prayer that changes us. We are being invited to go out led by the Holy Spirit toward the wildernesses and the hush harbors where we may spend time listening for, for a voice from heaven to remind us of whose we are who we are, and the unique gifts and callings which we each possess. Let us go out into the wilderness with Jesus and into the hush harbor of God where we wait, we watch, we pray so that we may be changed. Amen. Amen.